Greetings! A warm welcome to all my listeners on this, my very first podcast on Forever LDS. I want to make this a weekly habit, discussing the widest range of subjects ever discussed on any LDS podcast, from art and culture to philosophy and science to history and politics to the spark that started the universe, to the flash that may bring it all crashing in on itself. The one binding theme, I'm a Latter-day Saint. I'm a Mormon, or to be as technical as humanly possible, I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm not here to offer Sunday school lessons, although you may find enlightening topics that you could share in Sunday school. I'm not here to defend my faith against the day's controversies, although you may find the subject matter we discuss buttresses our faith against those controversies. I'm not here to necessarily express conviction or bear testimony every podcast. But you know what? It's it's probably unavoidable that I'm going to do so anyway because my convictions and my beliefs are, are inseparable from my personality, my identity as a human being, and I have no intention to pretend to be anything other than who I am. My object is first to entertain by delving into topics that I consider irrepressibly fascinating. Sometimes I'll have guests, sometimes it'll just be me, myself, and my imagination. The only rule that cannot be broken is I am not allowed to be boring. Boring bad? Boring is unacceptable. So if that ever happens, please send emails to this site that thoroughly castigate me as a sinner and a loser. Uh, okay, if you want to if you want to be kind, you might offer me helpful tips on how to avoid boringness in the future. But this is the internet. Since when have people ever wanted to be helpful instead of downright excoriating? At least that's what I expect. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. My name is Chris Heimerdinger, and I am an author. Hmm, nothing too impressive about that. Everybody and their uncle can post an ebook on Amazon and claim to be an author. I am an LDS author. There are just over 15 million Latter day Saints in the world. Recently, we passed a, a threshold where uh, I'm told less than half of Latter day Saints even speak English. About Oh, maybe 60% of church members are active, practicing saints. About half of those regularly read as a pastime, and maybe, maybe a quarter of those read LDS fiction and, and are potential customers of my novels. And as it turns out, that's just about right. I've sold approximately two million books over the span of my career, and I also directed a feature film, Passage to Zarahemla, that sold around 80,000 DVDs, and who knows how many downloads. I invented a board game based on tennis shoes among the Nephites that sold exactly 25,000 units. I know that because that's the exact number they printed, and well, they're all gone. And I even produced a music album called Whispered Visions that sold about 1,500 CDs. In any case, I'm not sure it really matters. These are not Stephen King, John Grisham, Nicholas Sparks kind of numbers. But it does mean I can claim some modest success in a very small, tight-knit niche market, 
which, by the way, gets even smaller because I write in a genre of LDS fiction that has even less customers, the fantasy, sci-fi, time travel genre. When I was a kid, only true nerds indulged in that genre. Now, when I say nerd, you got to go back to the Fonzie definition of nerd. Fonzie from that old TV series, Happy Days, in case my generation gap is showing. And in those days, nerd was not a very good thing. Today, you can be a supermodel and still claim kudos for placing the label on yourself of being a nerd. In those days, it meant you were very uncool, antisocial, and probably lived with your mother well into your 40s. But today, nerd is cool. Science fiction and fantasy are cool. But science fiction and fantasy mingled with LDS culture and doctrine? I don't know where the jury stands on that issue quite yet. It is unique, and not too many have followed in my footsteps and mingled those two concepts. So I guess I'm sort of a pioneer. My first novel as I already stated, was Tennis Shoes Among the Nephites. And hopefully, without sounding too corny, I must confess this story was based on a dream. Now, please don't take that too seriously when I say it. Do I believe that dreams can be classified as revelations? Absolutely. Do I believe that this was a revelation? Yes, but in this instance, let's put that word in lowercase instead of uppercase. It was certainly a revelation for me. It's led to feeding my family for a long, long time. And I hope it's been a source of inspiration for some of my readers, too. But I don't get too carried away with all that. The whole point of my books was to direct the reader back to the scriptures themselves. And if someone ever read my books with the intent to replace the Book of Mormon or some other scripture, I owe you a big apology. I feel some regret that you ever read them in the first place. For you, my series probably should have never been written. The goal was to create some emotional connection, images, and, and some cultural perspectives that made reading the scriptures themselves more fulfilling, more insightful, more enjoyable. So here's the true story of how it all came to be. One night on my mission in 1983, in Gainesville, Florida, I had a dream about these kids going back in time and meeting the heroes of the Book of Mormon. I recall there were two boys in the dream. One was probably me, but I couldn't say which one. And the time portal, the, or in other words, the means by which a character traveled in time was Frost Cave which is an actual cave located near the summit of Cedar Mountain, right on the outskirts of Cody, Wyoming. The legend of the Rainbow Room is real. It's an actual legend, although I have my doubts that it's a secret passageway to Book of Mormon times. The legend was put to us kids sort of like this. Deep down inside Frost Cave was this enormous room with waterfalls and ceilings of phosphorescent stone that lit the place up like a rainbow. Rumor had it that the downward pathway to this room was dynamited by the BLM back in the 60s because, well, some spelunkers got down in there too deep, and apparently they didn't want anybody else getting lost or hurt, so they shut it down as a tourist site and blocked the entrance with a gate. I have a chapter note in Book 8, Warriors of Camorra, that goes into greater detail. The long and short of it is that as kids, we used to climb over a very convenient gap at the top of that gate with the object of finding a new secret route to the Rainbow Room. The Book of Mormon connection comes strictly from my dream.
And I mean, it's not like the dream came to me full blown with a perfect plot, beginning, middle and end. I had to flesh it out word for word. This took several years and several false starts. I didn't actually finish the novel until President Ezra Taft Benson gave a talk in October 1988 urging LDS filmmakers, authors, and painters to create great works of art with themes and characters using the Book of Mormon. The LDS market was very different in those days. Publishers and bookstores were, for the most part, privately owned, separate companies. And that's not how it is so much today. I think the current climate actually makes it harder for an LDS artist to make a living pursuing President Benson's vision. But that's another subject for another podcast. Suffice it to say that many of my fellow authors experiencing success in the LDS market prior to about 2005 finally said, I'm done with this. I can't support my family in this market. And so they went out, and some have had great success selling sci-fi fantasy novels, primarily for young adults, but also for adults. And the greatest majority of those are very clean novels that you'd be happy, proud to see your kids reading. For some reason, Latter-day Saints are among the very best writers in this genre. Not just the best today, I'm talking the best in history. We only have to look at the success of novelists like uh, Brandon Sanderson, Brandon Mull, James Dashner, Obert Skye, who I always knew in his former life in LDS Publishing as Robert Farrell Smith. Um, but anyway, there's and many others also to confirm this. I know most of these guys and gals, and... I hope as time goes on, I can bring some of them on Forever LDS as guests, along with other LDS artists and celebrities and, and just fascinating conversationalists in many different pursuits and exploits. Because many of these interviews uh, that I could hold artist to artist, I hope will bring insight to these podcasts that you can't find anywhere else. Honestly, some of these successful sci-fi writers for YA have never even dabbled in the, quote, LDS market, but strictly in the general market. So many times I've been tempted to light out for that market, the general market myself. So what's stopping me? Well, I don't know. I, th I think my imagination has always worked a bit differently. I love our theology. I didn't want to turn LDS doctrine into some kind of hidden analogy or symbolism interwoven into my plots. And to be fair, many other general market LDS writers haven't done that either. But some have definitely had a clear and hidden agenda to keep the LDSness in the background, hinting at themes that, ah, some Latter-day Saints were going to get, but non-LDS would ignore or fail to pick up. Or maybe the artist thought that they'd pick up on it subliminally so that when the missionaries came knocking on the door, that person would scratch their head and say, I think I've heard some of this before. I don't know. Maybe that method has actually worked in the past. I don't want to criticize that approach too harshly because, I mean, storytelling is such a wide and diverse art form. It takes all kinds of vegetables to make a salad all kinds of personalities to touch other personalities in a way that can change a life forever. So if an LDS artist wants to keep their LDS doctrines hidden and symbolic, go for it. 
as for me, I wanted my characters to be LDS. I wanted them to believe LDS and be defined. I wanted my characters defined by their LDS faith. That doesn't mean I'll always write books like that, but those are the ideas which I seem to snatch out of the air. And I'm okay with that. Years ago, I decided that if all I ever write in my life are LDS novels, I'd die a happy artist. Maybe I'm alone in that. Maybe I'm still alone in that aspiration, and, and maybe soon I'll have to relent like everyone else and branch out into other things. Maybe this podcast and Forever LDS will help me to continue doing what I love to do. For now, I remained a very determined soldier in the cause of celebrating my faith with storytelling and the arts. Most still know me as the tennis shoes guy. The Tennis Shoes Adventure series is, without a doubt, the longest-running LDS adventure fantasy series in the history of LDS fiction. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that's such a good thing. Still, I'm flattered that many of my fans have stuck it out with me. I am well into book 13, and I'm actually nearing the end of this adventure. Yeah, I know, nobody believes me when I say that anymore, but this time it may actually be true. Really? No, really. Really, really, really. To all my readers over the past quarter century, I apologize for taking so long. The road of life is a curious taskmaster. I gotta say, I'm particularly flattered when a reader tells me they're giving my books to their kids, to the next generation of readers. My greatest goal in life was always to create stories that stood the test of time. I, I didn't want to create throwaway books that nobody read 10 years later. And that's not an easy goal. We can talk about that challenge later. We can talk about so many subjects. I have yearned to do a podcast for so long now, and I'm thrilled that I'm, I'm finally able to do it thanks to Jared Butters, my high-tech wizard and web designer. And uh, as I said before, Forever LDS will strive to be completely unique among LDS podcasts. I hope to pursue topics no other LDS podcasts would dream of pursuing, not because they're controversial or, or will cause anyone to question their faith, just the opposite. It's my staunch belief that the thing that opens up my creativity, that fuels the pistons of my imagination and possibilities and, and limitless potential is my LDS faith. Now, I am quite aware that that is not the way the world looks at faith. It's not the way they look at religion at all. They see religion as a restriction of creativity, as an impediment of free thinking and intellectual exploration. Well, if there is any theme I mean, any core objective of this podcast, it is to shatter that misconception, that fallacy. So many people think if you wrap your brain in religion and rules and principles of faith, it's like slipping into an hourglass. I mean, they think it's like putting your intelligence into this space that grows tighter and tighter where your creativity is actually cramped and stopped that your intelligence gets squished and suffers and suffocates and it can't grow and expand. Not true. Boy, is that not true. What folks forget is the other side of the analogy. Even if sometimes rules or living God's commandments makes you feel cramped and restricted, the instant when you pass through the hourglass, you suddenly find your creativity, your intelligence, your opportunities more abundant than ever before. 
you're suddenly more free than you ever imagined. The other side of that hourglass is infinite in its possibilities. But if you listen to the falsehood that rules suffocate your, your possibilities, you're never going to find that out. And that's the great secret of religion that the world, the philosophies of men, want to hide from you and prevent you from ever discovering. Don't ever be fooled. Worldly philosophy, atheism, agnosticism, secularism, hedonism, these are religions. I mean, nobody's ever taught you that, but the way the human mind works doesn't change, and these ideas all have very strict and binding rules. What fellow adherents try to hide is just how restricting and how binding they really are, and how suffocating they can truly be to creativity and intelligence. They all have walls that you eventually slam up against and can never penetrate to reach the same kind of freedom offered by religion and faith. I mean, there's only one thing that can set you free, and that's truth. Sounds a little like a scripture you're probably familiar with. I love this gospel. I love this theology. And the fact is, I also love physics and science and, and astronomy and politics and archaeology and history and the arts and culture and every other field of study and passion. I'm firmly convinced that knowledge in all its forms augments and supports and cements the tenets of LDS doctrine in the most compelling and uplifting ways. Think about it. We're the only religion on earth, definitely the only Christian religion, that has as part of its core doctrine that there is life on other planets. Other denominations can speculate and philosophize, but we've actually had it in our scriptures for almost 200 years. So I'm, I'm not here to carry on trivial arguments about my beliefs. I'm here to celebrate them. And I want listeners, I, I'm hoping my listeners will celebrate them with me. I'm convinced everything points back to God. Everything points back to truth. I, I have a favorite scripture. I mean, I have many favorite scriptures, but I have one that seems particularly apropos to the themes that I hope provide the power behind this podcast. In D&C 101, verses 32 through 34, our Father in heaven makes a promise to us. He says, Yea, verily I say unto you, in that day when the Lord shall come, he shall reveal all things, things which have passed, and hidden things which no man knew, things of the earth by which it was made, and the purpose and the end thereof, things most precious, things that are above and things that are beneath, things that are in the earth and above the earth and in heaven. Now, don't get the wrong impression with that. We're not here to delve into controversial mysteries that might lead someone to run off and form their own church in some remote corner of the world. The great apostle Bruce R. McConkie always had a great quote that sort of corrals all such explorations. He loved to say, stay in the mainstream of the church. What did that mean? Well, to me, it meant something very simple. It meant stay in the mainstream of the church. I don't really think it needs further elaboration. It means you're free to ponder and think and explore, but if you are starting to feel you're getting off track, then pull yourself back. The truth is, I love deep questions. I love contemplating the mysteries of time, space, and the universe. 
I think this desire is ingrained in us as children of our Heavenly Father. We're curious creatures by nature. We want answers, and we'd like to pursue them. But here's the key. Humility. I'm not a general authority. I'm not your bishop. If anything, I'm just a philosopher. I love the world around me. I love people, and I love to think. And if I can, I love to make others think, too. But I welcome my listeners to pull me back in, if necessary. I'm human. We're all human. I have this theory, and it's not a guarantee, but it's a good solid principle, a club motto, if you will. And it's that the testifier of all truth for this earth and beyond is the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to sit here and proclaim that I have some special connection to that ultimate force that isn't available to anyone else in the church. But I am convinced that if I try to operate a podcast or carry on any kind of conversation with another human being or pursue anything, uh, and my life is somehow off kilter, I'm not paying my tithing, I'm dishonest with my fellow man, it doesn't matter. If I'm not sincerely doing my best to live this gospel, repent daily and admit my faults, it's inevitable that this podcast will fail. It will stray and it will fall. So with that in mind, let's have a blast here at foreverlds.com. Our beliefs get knocked and rattled and rolled by just about every other cultural perspective out there in the wide, wide world. But here's the problem our detractors face. Our church is true. Now, what does that really mean? The phrase is so commonplace among Latter-day Saints, occasionally we need to reassess and make sure that the cliché never loses the power that it's intended to have. To say our church is true means one thing in my mind. We have the authority of God. We have the priesthood of God. Does it mean we can't find wisdom and a wealth of powerful ideas from other sources? Absolutely not. A few weeks ago, I saw a Christian film, The War Room, and it was directed by Alex Kendrick, who has brought us several other beautiful Christian films, but none in my mind quite as powerful as this. And he's a staunch Baptist. He also played the sales executive, who ultimately forgave the main character, Tony, of his wrongdoings. But that's just trivia. Did the movie teach me things I, I can't find in, in our own LDS teachings? No. But the package was powerful, and it reminded me of the power of prayer in a way that I personally needed to hear again. Yes, there were little things that I could get nitpicky about, but they were negligible. The film was purging and far more worthy of its ticket price than other nonsense films I saw this summer like Tomorrowland or Minions. Listen, culture, movies, music, the arts, in every way, I, I hope are a major focus of this podcast, but I'm always going to come to such things in a way that explains how they affect me as a Latter-day Saint. Again, our primary goal here at foreverlds.com is to entertain and avoid being boring. Please give us your feedback as often as it strikes you. If you really, really, really like us, then recognize that being so doggone entertaining every week isn't easy. Your support is very, very appreciated. We even sell my books here on Forever LDS. I'll even sign them for you. And hey, maybe someday... After you die and it no longer matters, that autograph may even be worth something. We also welcome donations. I don't care if it's three or four dollars. Whatever supports the cause. 
but only if you feel it's a worthy cause. Next week, I'll probably wing it alone again with what I hope is a profound discussion of time, space, the universe, and the fact that Joseph Smith beat Einstein by offering the theory of relativity to the world by at least 60 years. Don't believe me? Tune in next week, and I'd love to prove it to you. Until then, as always, as I always used to say when I closed my newsletters on cheimerdinger.com and frostcave.com, stay close to the Lord. And if you don't feel as close to the Lord today as you did yesterday, who moved? I assure you it wasn't the Lord. This is Chris Heimerdinger. Until next week, signing off and signing out. Thank you for listening. Thank you.